and guidance as I speak, that Lord, this morning it would be your words, it would be your thoughts, that Lord, you would give us understanding of this passage, that you would teach us, instruct us through it, and that Lord, you would be honoured and glorified now we pray, in Jesus' name, Amen. Now in chapter 18, if you remember in verse 22, we saw the two angels who were with the Lord when he met with Abraham there in chapter 18, the two angels who were with him. They departed and they headed towards Sodom. Let's just read that. Chapter 18, verse 22. says, And the men, okay, and the men there are the two angels, and the men turned their faces from thence and went toward Sodom. But Abraham stood yet before them. Okay, so these two angels who were with the Lord at that meeting, they left and they headed towards Sodom. And as chapter 19 now begins, we find that these same two angels arrive at the city of Sodom in the evening, they arrive at the city gates. And Sodom was the chief city of the five cities of the plain. Okay, We know Sodom and we know Gomorrah well, but there were the other three as well. There was five cities of the plain, and Sodom was the chief one of those five, and so it's representative, if you like, of all of the cities. Okay, It's representative of them and their wickedness. Now, it's also here at Sodom, of course, that Lot... And his family have come to settle. You know, one commentator described Lot's journey uh, down into Sodom like a moth drawn to the flame. That's sort of what it was like. Little by little, he was drawn closer and closer until he found himself there in the city of Sodom. Now, little by little, he progressed until he was dwelling amongst them. If you remember back in chapter 13... Um, you know, Abraham had given him the choice. You know, he said, you know, there's all the land before you. You choose which way you want to go and I'll go the other way. And Lot, of course, had chosen the fertile plain, the, the Jordan plain there, where Sodom and Gomorrah and these other cities were located. He'd chosen the best land for himself. And we're told there in chapter 13 that he then journeyed and he dwelt in the vicinity of the city. He pitched his tent towards Sodom. So he was nearby, he was close enough to enjoy the benefits of the city, but not actually in the city. You know, these cities were already at that time known for their wickedness. But despite this, he still went in that direction and he still dwelt nearby, particularly close by to the city of Sodom. By the time we come to chapter 14, we find that Lot has now moved and he's now dwelling in the city. Let's just go there, chapter 14. So chapter 13 is where he left and he pitches his tent towards Sodom. Chapter 14 and verse 12 says, And they took Lot, Abraham's brother, uh, brother's son, who dwelt in Sodom and his goods and departed. So in chapter 14, Lot is now actually in the city. It didn't take him very long, did it? For him to abandon his tents for the comfort and the pleasures of the city of Sodom. And now finally, as we come to chapter 19, we learn that Lot is now sitting in the gate of the city. Okay, we see that there in verse 1. It says, And there came two angels to Sodom at even, and Lot sat in the gate of Sodom. And so he's now sitting in the gate of Sodom. Now the gate of the city in those days was the place where business would take place. It was the place where commercial activities were centred. It was also the place where the judicial councils would meet to pass judgments. 
It's from the way that the Word of God here declares Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, it implies that he is actually sitting there in a position of authority. Okay, That he is by this time now a civic leader of some sort. He's, ris- he's risen to a position of authority within the city of Sodom. He's sitting in a place of judgment. You know, what a contrast straight away we have with Abraham in the previous chapter. Wiersbe notes this, he says, When the heavenly contingent came to visit Abraham, he was at his tent door. But Lot was sitting in the gate of a wicked city. Abraham was a pilgrim and stranger, only passing through this world. But Lot had gradually abandoned his tent and settled down in Sodom. There's a great contrast, isn't there, immediately between the two men. You know, Abraham, he's remained separate all these years. He's still dwelling in his tent. But Lot, he's now in the city of Sodom. And more than that, he's in the gate of the city. You know, what a sad sight to see. This one Lot sitting now in this wicked city, comfort, content there. You know, this is the same Lot who left uh, with Abraham from Ur. He was there at the very beginning when Abraham was called out of the Ur of the Chaldees. Lot had been with him on the journey to Haran and, of course, across to the, the promised land. You know, he'd seen God's hand of blessing upon Abraham's life firsthand. He'd seen it in his own life. But now we find Lot at home in a wicked city, and more than that, we find him in this position of authority. You know, Lot really is a reminder of just how far we can all go when we get our eyes off the Lord. Because that's really what happens with Lot. He gets his eyes off the Lord and on the plain of Jordan, on the things of the world. You know, Lot, when he made that decision, he was well aware of what the city was like, and yet he still went there to live. You know, the New Testament, in fact, declares in 2 Peter 2, verse 8, it says, that righteous man, talking about Lot, says that righteous man dwelling among them in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. You know, Lot was surrounded by wickedness in this city. It was all around him. And indeed, his soul, it says in Second Peter, was tormented by it. But there's no indication in the Word of God that he tried to remain apart from it. That he tried to remain separate from this wickedness. Rather, what we see is Lot compromising to fit in. To be part of this wicked place. The commentator Morris writes this, he says, Their gross wickedness may vex his soul a bit, and he may not wish to enter into quite all of their activities. But in general, he gets along with them just fine, and he's quite pleased with himself that he does. That's the situation Lot finds himself in. He's content. He's happy in the city of Sodom. He, he gets along with them just fine. He turns a blind eye to their sin. And he's pleased with himself that he does. And so we find a man content in this sinful place, content with his compromise, so that he might advance commercially, so he might advance politically, so he might enjoy his life here in Sodom. But this compromise, this carnality, was going to have grave consequences for Lot and his family. And this morning we want to consider the event before us, And we want to see some of these consequences. They're not all outlined here in the first 22 verses. I mean, some of them are at the end of the chapter and we'll have to look at them next time. We see the consequences of his 
compromise this morning. Notice firstly here this morning we see Lot's hospitality. Lot's hospitality in verse 1. It says, And there came two angels, that's to Sodom at even. And Lot sat in the gate of Sodom, and Lot seeing them rose up to meet them. And he bowed himself with his face toward the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house, and tarry all night, and wash your feet, and you shall rise up early and go your ways. And they said, Nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. The account begins with Lot, as we said, sitting in the gate of Sodom. And he sees these two men. Well, he believes they're men, they're angels. Okay, we know that. But Lot, to Lot, they appear to be men. He sees them approaching. And like Abraham in the previous chapter, he rises up and he goes to meet them. And he shows them hospitality. Okay, we see that there in verse 1 as he gets off his feet. Um, it says that then in verse 1, Lot seen them rose up to meet them, and he bowed himself with his face to the ground, and he said, Behold now, my lords, turn in, I pray you, into your servant's house. So he shows them eastern hospitality, he invites them to come home, to his house, to abide with him. Now I mentioned earlier that these are the same two angels that met with Abraham in chapter 18, and we know this because in the Hebrew it actually includes the definite article here. And what that means is that if you translate it literally, Verse 1 begins, and there came the two angels. Okay, it's the angels, the same angels from chapter 18. And so Lot greets these two angels, who he believes to be men, and he invites them to return to his home, and he's, he wants to offer them a meal and to abide with him for the nights. As you saw there in verse 2, at first they decline, don't they? They cl- decline the offer and they say that they're in verse 2, nay, but we will abide in the streets all night. They decline his gracious offer and they say, we're going we're gonna to stay in the streets. We're not going to come with you, we'll stay here. You know, Lot doesn't accept that answer, does he? In verse 3 there we see it says, And he pressed upon them greatly. And they turned in unto him and entered into his house, and he made them a feast, and he baked unleavened bread, and they did eat. And so Lot's not going to accept this answer, and he presses, it says, he pressed upon them greatly. Now, the idea of that is that he insisted strongly. Okay? He's insisting that they come home with him. And, and there's a sense of urgency here to his voice. Now, you can't stay in the street. You need to come with me. Accept my hospitality. Come and abide in my home. You know, the fact that he's so persistent here and so urgent, you know, he's urging them to come home with him, it tells us that Lot knew of the dangers they would face. It tells us that he knew exactly what Sodom was like at night and he knew that these men couldn't abide safely on the streets. And so he's urgently saying, come home with me. He wants to protect these men. And so we can give Lot here some credit, can't we? Okay, We can give him some credit in that Lot is trying to shield these visitors from the wickedness of the men in the city. He's trying to shield them. He's trying to do the right thing here. And eventually, of course, as we saw there in verse 3, the angels concede to Lot's request. And they come home and Lot shows them hospitality, prepares a meal for them. says he prepares a feast and unleavened bread, and they did eat. They enjoy this wonderful meal with him. But it's following the meal that we see that events sort of take a turn for the worse, don't they? Following the meal, we see secondly here that Lot's house is now besieged. We see Lot's house... Besieged. Look there in verse 4. It says, But before they lay down, 
the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in unto thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. So before Lot and his guests are able to turn in for the night, there is this commotion outside now. And we're told in verse 4 that the men of the city have gathered together and they've surrounded Lot's house. They've compassed it. They've surrounded his house. And it's clear from verse 4 that this is not just a small little group of depraved sinful men. Okay, just read verse 4 again. It says, But before they lay down, the men of the city, even the men of Sodom, compassed the house round, both old and young, all the people from every quarter. So this is not just a small little group, minority, who gathered outside of Lot's house on this night. Rather, this is all the men of the city, both old and young. They've all come together and they've all surrounded Lot's house and they've surrounded it with one mind, with one corrupt, sinful intent. And that intent, that desire is revealed to us here in verse 5, isn't it? In verse 5 it says, And they called unto Lot and said unto him, Where are the men which came in into thee this night? Bring them out unto us, that we may know them. Verse 5, it's almost shocking to read, isn't it? Verse 5 reveals to us the, the depravity, reveals to us the, the wickedness of the men of Sodom. And indeed, as we said, they're representative of Gomorrah and the other cities. It reveals to us just how depraved, just how wicked these cities really are. You know, if we read this chapter for the first time and we read of one degenerate man knocking on Lot's door, crying out for him to bring these men under him so he might commit homosexual rape, because that's what this is. If we'd read of one banging on the door, that would be bad enough, wouldn't it? That would be disgusting enough. That would be depraved enough. But no, we read here of the whole city, all the men have gathered around his house. They're all banging on the door and saying, Lot, bring out the men that came in unto you that we might know them. It's clear here that they desired to gang rape these men. It's disgusting and it's horrible to even read of, isn't it? But that's what they're desiring to do. That's what this passage is talking about in God's word doesn't hold back. It tells us what the wickedness of this city really is. As we read this, this should immediately tell us something about the extent of the wickedness that is within this city and the other cities. You see, there's no shame in any of this, is there? We don't read of any shame. These men are not ashamed about their actions. We see old men. We see young men alike. They're all driven by the same wicked fleshly desire and they're not seeking to practice it in secret are they they're not doing it quietly they're parading it in the street and they're shouting their desires for all to be heard they're not ashamed of it there is no restraint here you see this wickedness was evidently the norm wasn't it if if all the men are gathering together and they're all crying out with one voice this is obviously the norm this is what Sodom was all about, and Gomorrah and the other cities. There's no restraint within the city of Sodom. There is no restraint 
within the other cities. Now, is it any wonder that God declared in chapter 18 and verse 20 to Abraham that the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah was great because their sin was so grievous? Just go back there. Chapter 18, verse 20. We saw this last Sunday. Chapter 18, verse 20. It says, The Lord said, Because the cry of Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grievous. Is it any wonder God said that to Abraham? The cry was great that went up to him from the wickedness that was taking place in these cities. You know, what we see here is a very public and shameless desire to commit gross immorality. That's what we see here. Public and shameless desire. Now, of course, we know that God's word is very clear that homosexuality is sin. Just turn with me quickly. Leviticus chapter 18. Leviticus 18. Let's read verse 22. Leviticus 18 verse 22. It says, Thou shalt not lie with mankind as with womankind. It is abomination. You turn over to chapter 20 of Leviticus, chapter 20 and verse 13. We see the same thing. It says, If a man also lie with mankind as he lieth with a woman, both of them have committed an abomination. They shall surely be put to death. Their blood shall be upon them. It's clear from both these two verses alone, just these two, it's clear that it's an abomination unto the Lord. It's an abomination in the sight of God. It goes against nature. It goes against creation, how God created us. In the New Testament, Paul speaks about this sin and he speaks about this very fact that it is against nature. Just turn over to Romans chapter 1 with me. In Romans chapter 1 and verse 26, we read this, it says, For this cause God gave them up unto vile affections, for even their women did change the natural use into that which is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, which was meet. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a reprobate mind to do those things which are not convenient. Paul speaks about the fact that this sin is against nature. God created us. He is the creator. He created us and he created us male and female. He created us so that we might be husband and wife, so we might fulfill Genesis chapter 1 to 3 where he commands us to fill the earth, to populate the earth. He created us male and female, husband and wife, for that purpose. Homosexuality rejects God as the creator. It rejects God's authority over mankind. Romans chapter 1 where we were before, just go back to verse 21. In Romans 1 verse 21 it says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful. They became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools, 
and change the glory of the, the uncorruptible God into an image made to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worship and serve the creature more than the creator who is blessed forever. And those verses there leading up to verse 26 to 28, it describes how it is the result of rejecting God. These sins are the result of turning our backs upon God. You know, they, they failed to worship God, they failed to acknowledge God. And so verse 26 says, For this cause God gave them up to vile affections. These sin and indeed all sin results from rejection of God. The rejection of who God is. And the city of Sodom, Gomorrah, the other cities, they rejected their creator. They rejected God. They rejected his authority over them and it led them into vile affections. It led them into a place of great wickedness, great sin. And that sin, that wickedness is highlighted here in chapter 19 by this gross immorality that we see taking place here. You know, our day is no better, is it? Our day is no better. Man has rejected God as the creator. Man has rejected his authority. And so now, like Sodom and Gomorrah, this sin, indeed other sin as well, but this sin is that, sorry, this sin that was once carried out in the shadows is now publicly paraded for all to see. It's praised as being the norm. It's praised as being progressive. And if we as believers speak out, we're called unloving. We're called homophobic. You know, we're even beginning to see believers threatened with jail for speaking the truth. Beloved, we must remember that God is the creator. He made us. He has authority over us. We are responsible to Him. And as believers, we must speak the truth. We cannot ignore it. We must speak the truth. But let's be clear here. And this is one thing we have to be clear on. God doesn't hate homosexuals. Let's be clear on that. God doesn't hate them. Indeed, God loves them just like He loves all people. And He wants them to be saved just like He wants all people to be saved. That doesn't change the fact that their actions are sin. Just like adultery is sin, and stealing is sin, murder is sin, we can list them. Just like all those things are sin, this is sin as well in the eyes of God. They're sinners in need of a saviour. You know, we must demonstrate Christian love, declaring to them their need of the saviour. But at the same time, we must stand against the sin. Speak the truth in love, as the Word of God says. Hate the sin, but love the sinner. And that's the key. And even here with the the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah, God didn't hate these people. God loved them. God wanted them to repent. Because they wouldn't repent, that's why judgment came. Now, as we read on in the passage here, we see Lot's response to this gross request. Let's just go back to Genesis chapter 19. We see his response in verse 6. It says, And Lot went out at the door unto them and shut the door after him and said, I pray you, brethren, do not so wickedly. Behold, now I have two daughters which have not known man. 
let me, I pray you, bring them out unto you, and do ye to them as is good in your eyes. Only unto these men do nothing, for therefore they for therefore came they under the shadow of my roof. You know, we read verses six to eight, and I don't know about you, but as a father I struggle to understand how Lot could ever bring himself to offer his own daughters unto the crowd outside his door to be gang raped by these these men. How could he ever bring himself to do that? Now it's obvious that he's trying to protect his guests. You know, we acknowledge that. You know, Lot he knew that these men had come into his the angels, they'd come into his house expecting protection. And so in a very warped way, he's trying to protect them, isn't he? You know, perhaps he'd come to realise that they were more than just men, that they were angels sent from God. And so he's doing all he can, he's going to every length to protect them, even sacrificing his daughters. You know, whatever the reason is for this proposal that he makes, the crowd outside, they don't accept it, do they? The crowd outside are not deterred by his response. Look in verse 9. It says, And they said, Stand back. And they said again, This fellow, this one fellow came into sojourn, and he will needs be a judge. Now will we deal worse with thee than with them. And they pressed sore upon the men, sorry, upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. They're not deterred. They don't, they don't want to accept Lot's offer. Lot's offer to them only angered them even more, and now they, they turn their anger towards him, towards Lot. And they say they're going to deal with him worse than they would have with the men. They're, they're ready to, to kill Lot. I mean, that's really where this is ending up. You know, Lot, he thought he'd made friends, hadn't he? He thought he'd made friends here in the city of Sodom. He thought that they had accepted him. He thought that they would now respect him, that they would respect his uh, his words unto him, that they would listen unto him. But the truth is that as he speaks unto him, they resent him, don't they? They don't respect him. They resent him and they, res- they resent the fact that he now deems that what they're, they're proposing to do is morally wrong. They resent the fact that he's standing in judgment over them. Look in verse 7. He says, and, sa- sorry, and said, I pray you, brethren... Do not so wickedly. So he'd said to them, don't do this wickedness. And what did they say in verse 9? Stand back. And they said again, this one fellow came into sojourn and he will needs be a judge. They, they resent the fact that he would judge them, that he would call their actions morally wrong. And so they reject him and they, they mock him as a stranger who would sit in judgment over them. You see, the point is, Lot's compromise over the years over the years of living in Sodom, his compromise had not gained him any influence, had it? It had not gained him any influence over the men in this city. In fact, his compromise had done the opposite. He lost his testimony. He lost any respect before these men. And so now he was unable to restrain them. They would not listen to him. They would not respect his opinion. Gusick writes this, perhaps Lot thought that through compromise he might reach these men, but just the opposite has occurred. They have no respect for him whatsoever, even though his buddy-buddy approach 
leads him to call such wicked men my brethren. And he does. In verse 7 he says, my brethren. He, he's had this buddy-buddy approach, hasn't he? Wanted to get close to them, wanted to be their friend and ignore their sin. And now when the time came for him to speak out about it, they resent him and they will not listen to him. You see, in Lot we see the sad, inevitable outcome of compromise with the world. It never leads to the world respecting us. It never leads to the world respecting our faith. It doesn't lead to opportunities to share the truth and restrain sin. Instead, compromise leads to a loss of respect, a loss of testimony, and we end up being mocked and rejected by the world. And that's exactly what happened here with Lot. You know, in the end, his feeble attempts to restrain these men failed. And now they're pressing hard against him. They're pressing so much they're going to break down the door. Look there in verse 9 again at the end it says, And they pressed sore upon the man, even Lot, and came near to break the door. But the men put forth their hand and pulled Lot into the house to them and shut the door. You know, they're pressing hard now, so much so they're going to break down the door. And from verse 10 we see the angels, they have to physically pull Lot inside. They have to rescue Lot and they shut the door. And then we're told in verse 11 the angels perform a miracle. They smite the the crowd outside with blindness. It says in verse 11, And they smote the men that were at the door of the house with blindness, both small and great, so that they wearied themselves to find the door. The angels smite them with blindness, so they can't find the door. They're confused. The angels here acting on the behalf of God, they intervene to save Lot and his family. And now we see that Lot is urged to flee the city with his family before it's too late. And that's our final point this morning. We see the angels warning to flee. The angels warning to flee. Look in verse 12. It says, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any besides son-in-law and thy sons and thy daughters? And whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place. For we will destroy this place. Because the cry of them is waxing great before the face of the Lord. And the Lord hath sent us to destroy it. Now if Lot hadn't realized earlier that these men were angels, he certainly did with the miracle of smiting the mob with blindness. Okay, it's now apparent to him who these men are. And these angels now declare unto Lot the purpose of their visit. We saw it there in verse 13. They said, For we will destroy this place, because the cry of them was waxing great before the face of the Lord, and the Lord has sent us to destroy it. They've been sent by God to destroy the city of Sodom because of the great wickedness therein, just highlighted by the events here in chapter 19. And the angels warn Lot, now they say, Gather your family, gather all those connected to you, and flee the city before it's too late. Look in verse 12. It says, And the men said unto Lot, Hast thou here any beside son-in-law, and thy sons, and thy daughters, and whatsoever thou hast in the city, bring them out of this place? And so the angels tell him, there's a sense of urgency here. They say to him urgently, quickly, now go and warn your family. Tell them to get out. And so in verse 14, we see Lot do that. It says in verse 14, And Lot went out and spake unto his sons-in-law, which married his daughters, and said, Up, get you out of this place, for the Lord will destroy this city. 
but he seemed as one that mocked unto his sons-in-law. So we see him go, and he goes to the houses of his sons-in-law, those who have married his daughters, and he warns them of the destruction that is to come. And it's sad to see their response, isn't it? These ones who are now connected to his family, they're his sons-in-law, and their response is that he seemed as one who mocked unto his sons-in-law. Even these ones who are married to his daughters, even amongst them, Lot has no credibility. You notice that? Even amongst them. He finds no respect. He finds no credibility. They will not listen to him, but instead they simply ridicule him. They laugh at him. They think he's joking. And they refuse to take him seriously. You know, we can imagine Lot, can't we, pleading with them? Pleading with them to listen pleading with them to flee for the sake of his daughter's lives. Imagine the pain and the hurt he must have felt when he heard their response, when they laughed at him and rejected him. You see, once again, this is the sad result of a life of compromise, isn't it? You know, Lot had not remained separate from the crowd. He had become one of them. And in doing so, he lost all respect, all credibility, even with his extended family. Even with his own family now, he's got no credibility because of his compromise. Gusick again writes this, The effect of Lot's life of compromise is clearly seen. When he spoke with the utmost seriousness to his sons-in-law about the judgment of God, they did not believe him. Not even they will be saved from the judgment to come. Now when morning time comes, the time has now run out. It's now or never for Lot. He needs to flee. There's no time left. In verse 15, we see that he's urged now by the angels to take his wife, take his two daughters and leave. It says in verse 15, And when the morning arose, then the angels hastened Lot, saying, Arise, take thy wife and thy two daughters, which are here, lest thou be consumed in the iniquity of the city. So time's now run out. It's now or never. He has to flee. And isn't it sad that it's only those who are within his house who are saved? It's only his wife and his two daughters, unmarried daughters. They are the only ones that he is able to convince to go with him. And probably the only reason that they're convinced is because they've seen the events of that night. They've seen the, the mob outside. They've seen the angels blind them. And so it's only because of that really that they are convinced to go with him. You see, even from verse 16, we see they all have trouble letting go, don't they? Look at verse 16. It says, And while he lingered, the men laid hold on his, upon his hand, upon the hand of his wife, upon the hand of his two daughters, the Lord being merciful unto him, and they brought him forth and set him without the city. You know, they all have trouble letting go, even Lot. It says that Lot here lingered. He's lingering, he's struggling to let go of Sodom, let go of the comforts, the pleasures, everything he's enjoyed there. Now, Lot was a righteous man because of his faith in God, but he was a carnal man. He was a classic example of a carnal Christian, if you like. He was consumed by love for this world, and in the end, the angels had to grab him by the hand, grab his wife, grab his daughters, and physically remove them from the city. As we saw there in verse 16. 
Now, it says there that this was the merciful of God. It says that the Lord be merciful unto him. This was God's mercy, wasn't it? This is God's mercy. You know, even though Lot's heart was still in Sodom, he was struggling to let go. God in his grace and mercy rescued Lot's, physically removing him from the city before judgment came. And now they're outside the city, outside the city, and Lot and his family are instructed now to escape, to flee to the mountains and not look back. Look in verse 17. And it came to pass when they had brought them forth abroad, that he said, Escape for thy life, look not behind thee, neither stay thou in all the plain, escape to the mountain, lest thou be consumed. He's just been rescued from the city of Sodom. And they say to him, Now don't look back, flee to the mountains before it's too late. They're to sever all ties with these cities, these wicked cities, and begin again doing the right thing. But what do we see? Instead, we see Lot once again wanting to compromise. And he pleads to be allowed to flee to one of the smaller cities. Look in verse 18. It says, And Lot said unto them, O not so, my Lord. Behold now, thy servant hath found grace in thy sight, and thou hast magnified thy mercy, which thou showed unto me in saving my life. And I cannot escape to the mountain, lest some evil take me and I die. Behold now, this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. O let me escape thither, is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. And he said unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow this city for which thou hast spoken. Now Lot, he'd just been spared from the destruction of Sodom, and he even, he acknowledges that, doesn't he? He says, I found grace in the sight of God, and I've experienced God's mercy And what does he then want to do? He wants to go back to the cities that he's just been rescued from. He wants to compromise again. Now, you would have thought that Lot now would finally acknowledge his sin, that he would get on his knees and get things right with God. But instead he pleads, let me return to one of the smaller cities. Let me keep enjoying this life. And the city was called Zoar. It was the smallest and seemingly least contaminated by the wickedness of Sodom. But it was still one of the wicked cities of the plain. Still one of the cities. You know, it's pitiful, isn't it, to see Lot begging to be allowed to compromise in this way, to continue to enjoy the comforts of the world. You know, verse 20 really highlights for, for us that pitiful, pitiful response, doesn't it? It says in verse 20, Behold, now this city is near to flee unto, and it is a little one. Oh, let me escape thither. Is it not a little one? And my soul shall live. He, he basically says, it's just a small city, Lord. It's just a small one. Let me, let me go there. This one can't hurt anything. Can't hurt me. Now, even here we see his carnality manifesting itself, don't we? Instead of being determined to learn from the judgment of God, to make a clean break from the sin, from the wickedness of these cities, he longs to return to it in some format. And the response from the angel in verse 21 is just another demonstration of God's long-suffering and grace. Look in verse 21. It says, And he said unto unto him, See, I have accepted thee concerning this thing also, and I will not overthrow this city for which thou hast spoken. This really is God's grace, God's long-suffering. And he says, All right, I'll let you flee to this city. God consents. 
and allows him to flee there. And the Lord even graciously waits until he has escaped there before he pours out his judgment upon the other cities. Look in verse 22. It says, Haste thee, escape thither, for I cannot do anything till thou come thither. Therefore the name of the city was called Zoar. The sun was risen upon the earth when Lot entered into Zoar. Then the Lord rained upon Sodom and upon Gomorrah brimstone and fire from the Lord out of heaven. The Lord graciously waits until he has escaped, until he has arrived, before he pours out his judgments. And of course, the consequences for Lot, because of his compromise, are not finished. And we've tried to cover a lot this morning, but there's a lot more to go. They're not finished. They're, the worst is still to come because of his sin, because of his, his compromise. But beloved, this morning we see a man enjoying the comforts of the world, enjoying friendship with the world, to the point that he lost all respect with the city. He lost all respect with his family. And when the time of judgment came, and Lot cried out in warning unto them, only he and his wife and two daughters were saved. And even he was saved yet so as by fire, as First Corinthians chapter 3, verse 15 talks about. He was saved yet so as by fire. It was only by God's grace. Beloved, let's learn from the sad lesson that is Lot's life. It's a sad story. You know, if we compromise with the world, if we seek friendship with the world rather than seeking to honour and glorify God, it will lead to us losing our testimony. It will lead there. It leads to us being, you know, a loss of respect. A loss of credibility. It will lead to us being ineffective for the Lord. You see, far from being able to turn men to Christ, our compromise will turn them away from Christ. Lord, may the Lord help us to stand fast for Him, unwavering, uncompromising in the faith. Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, Heavenly Father, we thank You, Lord, for Your Word this morning. And Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the fact that your, your word does record sad stories like this. Lord, to give us lessons for our own lives as believers. Lord, may you help us not to be carnal Christians. Help us not to compromise with the world, but help us to stand firm in the truth, unwavering, uh, Lord, in the faith. And may, Lord, we speak the truth in love as those around us. May our testimony, may our actions, Lord, speak Uh, unto the unsaved around us and bring them to you, Lord, we pray, not turn them away from you. May you bless now as we close, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.